Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Okay, Gospel of Luke. We're coming in hot on Christmas, and I'm trying to avoid preaching about Christmas as much as I can because I just don't love the whole like seasonal obligatory sermon thing. It's always kind of like rubbed me the wrong way. We will get to a Christmas message. I think Sunday is on Christmas Eve this year. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, I would take that Sunday off, but uh, I'm just kidding. I won't. I'll be here. But the deal is that on uh, before we can talk about Jesus, we have to talk about John the Baptist. And Luke, Luke was a physician, all right, by occupation. Luke, like the gospel writer, the, the follower of Jesus, uh, the apostle, Luke was a physician. And as a physician, he would have understood the organism of the body. He would have understood order. He would have understood cause and effect and why things come first. He would have uh, uh, studied and practiced and, and researched everything that was known at the time about the human body and recognizing Uh, the body of Christ as a similar living organism and everything sort of orbiting around it, he would have understood that Jesus coming required a, a, a preliminary action on the part of heaven. And so this morning, we're going to take just a couple minutes and talk about John the Baptist. Now, Pastor John preached a message here uh, back in the summer on John the Baptist, and it was phenomenal. It was maybe like, was it two years? No, two years ago on John the Baptist. And he was talking about how, like, why everything had to go wrong um, here and, and in our plans and in our timelines and everything else because of the anointing that was on us. God needed to prove a point. And in, in a similar fashion, um, that anointing, we see it come through the birth, through the conception even of John. And that's what we're going to, that's what we're going to talk about. So in chapter one of Luke, we're going to just read here in verse five, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. I want to stop right there and add a point to the points that I have. This isn't in my message, but as we were in this this morning, I'm going to do this real quick. It stuck out to me because a lot of times we'll get to a line like they were both blameless and righteous in the Lord and walk in all his commandments and statutes and blah, blah, blah. Okay, get to the point. Here's the deal. The point starts with blamelessness and walking righteously in the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Okay? Okay. It's important that they both walked blamelessly. Don't leave your spouse behind. I'm going to say it to everybody in here. Don't leave your spouse behind, okay? I think it was um, Poppy, the prophet Poppy, that said it best, no troll left behind, okay? (laughs) I know. Didn't they? Oh, it was Poppy's dad. What was his name? His name should have been Poppy. He was like the patriarch. Anyway, we can argue the theology of trolls another time. The point is this. We as humans have a tendency as uh, seasons and moments of revival uh, befall us. We, we have a tendency to focus in on the very personal, very intimate, one-on-one thing that we have with Jesus. And that's not bad. That's not wrong. And in fact, that sort of introspective uh, inventory and awareness can help bring healing to places in us that desperately need healing. 
In fact, you'll hear me more sermons than not tie somewhere in about taking inventory and, and becoming a little more self-aware of really where we are, places we've been in denial, places where we need a touch of heaven. However, when we come through these seasons of revival and we get back in touch with that very personal, very intimate relationship with the Lord, the other side of that, what the enemy wants to do with that is he wants to pull us out of whatever it is that we're connected to, involved with whatever, and put us on this like this fast pace where we're like, hey, we're on this adrenaline rush. We're getting everything. We're seeing everything. We're in the word like never before. We're in prayer like never before. We're coming out to every church service. We're going to every retreat. We're going to every camp meeting, every revival service, every everything. Forgetting there were ones that we were to bring with us. Forgetting the covenants that the Lord has already given us in our lives. And so we take off. And before we know it, the enemy's had a field day with the things we left behind. He's had a field day wreaking havoc in relationships and in places of influence, spheres of leadership, where the Lord was counting on us to carry something with people. And um, I, I want to be real honest about this because I, I see in, in ways that as a church who we're fanning the flames of revival in New England. At least it says it on our website, I think. And so I, I uh, yeah, okay, it's good. Yeah, all right, let's get behind those one-liners. Awesome. I, I love that. No, I'm behind it. I'm behind it. I, I believe it. The problem is, is when we separate ourselves from the things God's called us to be committed to in order to do that. I remember, I remember when um, the, the first, second, and third wave of marked men pushed through the church. And oh my God, it was incredible. It was like guys were at the altars and guys were being set free and, and guys were, were stepping out into ministry and stepping up to the plate like never before. And you put a few weeks, a few months on that and lo and behold, you'd Occasionally, among these men, you'd see a certain strain in their marriage, in their home. I'm just going to be honest, all right? Not naming names, okay? But I want to be really honest about this because it's a perfect example, and we'd be foolish not to point at it. We'd be remiss. And what was happening was these guys were getting plugged in to heaven and taken off at 150 miles an hour, and their wife is still kind of on the scenic route, and you're like, what? What do you, what do you, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. When you stand before the Lord one day and you're trying to argue all the guys that you met with and did small groups with and held accountable and the Lord's like, where's your wife? Remember, remember her? Remember her? They were both blameless and walking in the righteousness of the Lord. They were together in this. And I want to speak over the marriages in the room this morning. And, and by the way, I think as a, as a pastor, as a church leader, I was so overwhelmed by the fact that everybody that came in the door said, wow, I've never seen so many strong, mighty men of God in a church as, as I see in this church. Like you go into so many churches and it's like all like women there who are praying that their husbands uh, would stop watching football on Sundays and come to church. And, and we would hear this over and over and over. And so I'm falling for it. I'm like, yes, 
We've got the guys, like Arby's, with the meat. You know what I'm saying? We've got the meat. I don't know if that works there, but anyway, end of day, I do love Arby's, so I'll just say a shameless plug there. End of day, what we've got to understand here is that the Lord called us to do this together. The Lord called us to do this together, to be in this together. You know what, Zacharias, no matter how many angels showed up to him, no matter how many songs Gabriel sang, no matter how much heaven opened up, Zacharias was not going to have this baby by himself. They both were walking blamelessly. Now, let's keep reading. Come again? All right. Here we go. So here's where, here's where it gets good, okay? Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Verse 12 says, Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him what every angel says to everybody every time they show up. Do not be afraid. Zacharias, for your petition has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness. I always love reading that because I think of like, you know how, did you ever tell your kids when they... It's Christmas time. There's going to be family pictures. And you're like, you're going to wear that sweater and you're going to have joy and gladness. I always feel like Gabriel's kind of like, as Zacharias is like, I don't know if I want this. I'm like 100 years old. And he's like, you're going to have joy and you're going to have gladness and you're going to wear the sweater and you're going to like it. And he says, you will have joy and you will have gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great. In the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, yet while in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. Verse 17 says, it is he who will go as a forerunner. Everybody say, forerunner. Before him, capital him, who's him? Jesus is him. Before him, before Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah. And then you'll see maybe in italics or caps to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Why? Because that's a wink back at the prophetic fulfillment that is coming through Jesus. And the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Amen. Let's talk about this for just a minute here. Now it happened while what? Now it happened. Can you go back to 8? Back to verse 8. Put verse 8. Now it happened that while he was on a 40-day prayer and fasting retreat. Nope. Now it happened while he was in the church every time the doors were opened. Now it happened while he was begging and pleading in sackcloth and ashes at the altar. Now it happened while he was uh, taking every class and watching every YouTube under the sun of how to make it happen. No, he wasn't on a retreat. He hadn't signed up for some program that finally did the trick. He wasn't, 
He wasn't, uh, you know, adhering to some new thing that he had found. No, it happened while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division. Now, there's nothing super spiritual about that. It's just that um, being uh, in the priesthood family, he, would, um, he would, was on a rotation. And at different times of year and at different seasons, different priests came in. And then out of that group of priests, a, a, literally lots would be cast, kind of like Urim and the Thummim. The, the, they would draw straws, so to speak, about who would go in uh, and, and burn the incense. And I just think it's, we can't miss what was happening when God showed up. What was happening was nothing. It was another day at the office. He was just doing his duties. And I can't stress enough, saints, how important it is that we just become healthy, consistent, committed, faithful Christians. That we just buy into what the Lord meant when he said, forsake not the assembly. Just keep getting together. Keep, keep holding each other up in prayer. Keep anointing each other with oil. Just keep doing it like Pastor Ron just said this morning. For 40-something years, he just stayed faithful to what the Lord had showed him. And what the Lord has showed us is that he's called us together to be a body. When we pull ourselves in and out of that and then wonder why our lives are kind of like a dumpster fire half the time, it's because there's a certain order that we've been called to. There's a certain order. And not unlike this priestly order, sometimes it just means showing up. Sometimes it just means being consistent. How often, how often do we miss a divine appointment because we walk away from a dull assignment? Now it happened. What happened? A crazy heaven meets earth, like full-on Gabriel angelic sighting. Like, now it happened. What happened? Well, the prayer that Zacharias and his wife had been praying for ages finally is verbally affirmed to him. Now it happened. What? When? While he was just doing what he was called to do. Just on his rotation. I'm on security that Sunday. And the glory fell. I'm working three to five-year-olds. And, and revival hit the kids' classrooms, and they're all out in the spirit speaking in tongues. I was just on hospitality duty, and, and, and the Lord started giving us prophetic words to speak over people at the kiosk. I was just, you know, working his kids, and, you know, it was just my normal rotation. That's when the Lord shows up. God does the most profound things at the least profound places. Don't miss it. Don't walk away from it. Listen, when, it, when the adrenaline starts to wear off and the luster starts to get dull, that's when he shows up. Because we're so excited about, uh, about the adrenaline rush. We're so excited about the... the, the and by the way, I'm, this is me I'm talking to. 
Okay, I'm, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I'm, a, I'm an events guy. I, 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 for so many years of my life, I was an events guy. And I was always chasing it. I was always after it. Uh, I, would, I would pack up my keyboard, load up the car. I would pack up my wife. And we did this until for our first two kids. We were still doing this. Remember this. We'd pack up the babies, put them right in road cases, shove them in the trailer. And we would take off. We, we would drive nine hours one way to go lead worship for a half an hour at some event. Because why? Because this is it. This is going to be where, I, this is it. This is how, you know, I was after the rush. And, and that could have gone really bad if I had like lived my whole life in the world. That addictive personality going after the, the event, going after the flash in the pan, the, the grand finale fireworks display. But it's just as bad when we're in the Lord because we treat Jesus like the next drug. We treat Jesus like the next high. And when it wears off, then we crash instead of just staying consistent and committed and disciplined and faithful to what he's called us to. Zacharias was just being faithful, just showing up, just staying consistent and committed to appointed order. I'll say it one more time. Don't miss a divine appointment because you walked away from a dull assignment. We've quoted this a million times, every believer, right? Many are called, but few are chosen. How many of you all have heard that quoted in a way and you're like, I don't think it, that's what that means. Anybody? No, just me. Okay. <laughs> Some of us are afraid to make that call because we're like, we don't know what it means. I don't know what it means. I was asking the Lord about this like years ago. I'm like, you do the calling and you do the choosing, Lord. So I don't get it. You call a bunch of people, but you don't choose all of them? What does that mean? Many are called, but few are chosen. And as I'm wrestling back and forth with the Lord and saying, God, you do the calling and you do the choosing, it, I got this sense where the Lord put it on my heart and said, yeah, but you do the answering. If I call you and you don't answer, you're not going to be chosen. You remember back in the day when your phone was connected to a box on the wall and you'd have to, if, if there was a phone call you needed to get, it looked like this. This is where you sat. Don't leave that phone. Ladies and gentlemen, wait for that phone call. And you'd sit here and it was right here. And I'll be honest with you, living in Rehoboth, it's not unlike that because we get reception in one chair in our house. And so if you want to talk, if you're waiting, but you got to go sit in this chair by the certain window, you know, and if it's not too cloudy, you can get a phone call. And so, but you'd sit there to talk on the phone and, uh, and that's kind of, that's kind of how it used to be because as calls are making the circuit and people get busy, people get bored with dull assignments. They walk away from the phone. They walk away from the call. And so when the call comes, when Gabriel shows up at the altar of incense that day in, in, the, in the holy place there, right outside the veil, and the Lord's like, hey, go wait right here. My guy, he's going to show up. I'm going to make sure he gets the straw, you know? But thank God Zacharias showed up to work that day. Thank God that he didn't take the day off to do some Christmas shopping or because his kids have a softball game. Thank God he showed up. When Gabriel met him with the fulfillment of the call on his life. 
Many are called. How many miss it? You answer every phone call you get? I don't. I only answer this service's phone calls. I don't ever answer the first service. The people in this, I, I'll answer your phone call. I'm just kidding. I don't answer anybody's phone calls. There's so much spam now, you know, you just can't even be tell, can't ever tell. That's the thing. That's the thing. Many are called, but I don't want to be settled for calls. We put a lot of emphasis on the call, don't we? Bring, bring, bring. And then we just come unglued. He's calling me. There's the call of God on my life. That's the ring. I set that ring. It's just for him. When I hear that ring, I know it's God calling. And we're going to tell the whole world how called we are and never answer the phone. It's a big problem. And I'm probably not done preaching about it, but I am for today. All right. So it happened at the altar of incense. This is where it gets good. It happens at the altar of incense. If you were to walk into the, the holy place and not into the holy, not into the most holy place, but you, as you come into the tabernacle or the temple, you would pass that laver. And uh, Pastor John's preached on this and will continue to at events that are coming up that we're excited about but not talking about uh, in February. Yeah. Um, there's so much rich symbolism here. And if you're somebody that's into that stuff, make sure you sign up for the tabernacle class and in, in School of the Spirit. Pastor John does a phenomenal job with that, done so much research. And it's so powerful to see how heaven is so woven into every single thing God does. But you would walk in, and on your left and your right, there'd be a table of showbread, okay, and a lampstand. And both of those things are so rich in messianic symbolism. Uh, Jesus is pictured, illustrated, drawn out, spoken out, down into the measurements of these pieces of furniture. And it's so powerful. But as you walk between those two things on either side... And take one more step towards the veil, you approach the last piece of furniture, which was an altar of incense. Now, that was your very last stop before walking through the curtain and into the Holy of Holies. But as I was praying through this and reading through this and prepping for today, I felt like the Lord challenged me with this idea. He said, yeah, that's your last stop as you come in but that's my first stop as I come out. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, revelatory wells. And as I'm thinking of the Lord, who, by the way, sends Gabriel, who, by the way, announces himself to Zacharias, who's having trouble understanding him. He says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. He goes on to say that a few verses later. Basically, I just came out of there. I stand in the presence of God, and where does he stand when he comes through the veil? First stop, the altar of incense. The altar of incense is symbolic of our prayer and intercession. It's our worship going up into heaven. But that incense, that fragrance of our worship, of our intercession, it's not just the means by which our heart arrives in his presence. It's also the conduit that's created so that heaven can come to us. That place, the altar of incense. 
And it was there at the altar of incense that Gabriel meets him. And I want to call us, saints. I sense the Lord calling us to this, this next level of worship and intercession. Zach, how can you ask for more worship? We're like the most worshiping church there is. Because it's not just about how long we sing. It's not just about how loud we sing. It's not just about how good you guys sound when you sing, because it's good. Everybody knows so good. You guys sound like a It's like a choir. It's like the Mississippi mass choir in here every Sunday. That's why I show up. And I'm like, man, could it be that we've turned a lot of our worship and intercession about us getting there and not just about his first stop coming here? the open door, it swings both ways. And we've got to get to a place where, where we're, we're getting away from the noise and away from everything else so that we can hear his voice clearly. If you talk to the folks who, the, the folks who coach and lead people through yielding and deliverance ministry here and, and um, really inner healing stuff, so much of this is about hearing from God. And you know what is crazy? The hard part is not hearing from God. The hard part is to stop hearing all the noise. It's coming away from the crowds, away from the people, and getting into that place with the Lord where your worship, your intercession, the fragrance of that incense can go both ways. Okay, we need to go deeper in that. All right, and lastly, and this is kind of where I want to tie this up, Gabriel starts to describe not just what John will be like, but who he'll be. And there's some natural stuff in there, which I think is kind of interesting. He won't drink any wine or liquor. Now, the angel doesn't think it's necessary to get into the like, oh, he'll wear camel skins and eat locusts and honey and live out in the wilderness and be a weirdo. He doesn't, doesn't get into the whole burning man scene, but he does do this other thing. He says he will be a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared. I want to look at those three words in closing. First of all, this idea of the forerunner, there's nothing super spiritual about it. It literally just means it comes first. And because the father is all about order, he, he will never do a thing without doing the thing that prepares the place for the thing to come. That is, if you look over the history of your life, wherever you stop, go back one page. He was there too. Wherever you think your story with the Lord started, go back a chapter because he was there too. He was preparing you. Even if that meant allowing you to get to the very end of your rope or the bottom of your barrel, he was there. He was there pulling the rug out from under you so you would know how much you needed him in the chapter to come. Don't sell God short on his order. Order, order, order. And it was Zacharias who showed up in his appointed order that made a way for John the Baptist to establish an order by which Jesus would come. Now, forerunner comes first cultivating the soil. Any smart farmer is not just going to throw a bunch of expensive seed down on compacted earth. They're going to take the time and put the effort in. The seed is easy. 
The hard part is breaking up that soil and preparing it for what's about to be sown into it. So forerunner comes first. And then the next thing he says is he will make ready. He will make ready. Now, this word comes from a root that would have uh, been uh, the context for a convoy sent ahead of a king to sort of scope out the path. And they would make sure that, you know, any, any washouts from floods were repaired so that the carriage would go over it smoothly. They would make sure that, you know, um, any, any high places, uh, you know, were, were carved out and brought low. They would cut trees that had fallen across the path. They would go also on a mission to, and fan out and make sure that, hey, there's a cave off to the left over here and it's where robbers tend to hide. You know, let's make sure send a, a delegation of the army down there make sure that there's nothing shady going on. Hey, this, this thick grove of trees over here, you know, this is where people come out and, and do muggings. So make sure, you know, that, that there's no bad guys in there. This group would go out, and that's where this word comes from. What's interesting about it is as the root is sort of manipulated for this purpose, it's shifted to mean an internal preparedness, an internal readiness. So what it means is a path, a road, a way where high places are being brought low and low places are being brought up, but internally. Prepare the way. Prepare the way. Prepare the way. That's why the ministry was repent. The kingdom is at hand. Prepare the way. The high places in your life, get them low. The low places where you've groveled, it's time to bring them up to meet the feet of the one who comes to save. To make ready. I can't stress this enough because it starts in here. It starts in the interior places. John understood this and he walked it out. It wasn't just a shirt that he put on. It wasn't just a name tag. It wasn't positional authority. It was purpose and call to prepare the way of the Lord in here. And finally, to make ready a people. And finally, that word prepared, describing the people now. But this word prepared comes from a different Greek word than to make ready, and, um, and it literally, it, it takes the same idea and makes it external. So basically, to come to the fullness of preparation, it's, okay, whatever was happening, whatever paradigm shift happened to get us ready internally, now that has to begin to manifest itself outside in order for us to really be ready. Like, for instance, you know there's a nor'easter coming. And you know there's going to be three feet of snow on the ground in 48 hours. And you know that if you don't get out of your driveway tonight and to the grocery store to get bread and milk and to get back, you're not going to have bread and milk for 48 hours. And we all know that we die if we don't have bread and milk for 48 hours, right? So everybody in New England knows that we don't actually need bread and milk until it snows, and that's why the, stock, the, the shelves are stocked. And then it's, and then it's, oh, my God. 
And so there's a, a, a it's, it's almost like we didn't need toilet paper until COVID hit, that, which scares me. It scares me. You know what I'm saying? But what happens is the internal awareness of readiness starts to make its way outward. And we change our plans and we shift what we're doing and we're saying, no, I can't do this. I've got to go get milk and bread. And it starts to become an expression and it starts to become a manifestation. And we find ourselves driving to the store and knocking over old ladies as we get to the, to the, to the bread aisle and the milk aisle. Preparedness requires action. Readiness, this has to get ready. And this starts to get ready without anybody knowing about it. But what John the Baptist came to do, the move he came to make, required both this and this. Would you stand with me? I know that we're coming in hot on one. And if you need to sneak out at any point over the next few minutes, please feel free to do so. Nobody will get offended. You're feel to sneak out, slip out, but please do it quietly because we're going to do a little bit of work at this altar for a few minutes. Here's what I want to go before we leave. See, the thing about John the Baptist, as the spirit came on him, I will call it a spirit of anticipation. Elijah had to understand the heart of God in order to prepare Israel for what God wanted to do. And that same power and spirit of Elijah comes on John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had to anticipate the moving of Jesus. And, uh, and that's what a forerunner would do. If you ever watch Jamal, he anticipates what I'm about to do. He knows because he's feeling, okay, the room's getting hotter. Zach's about to take off a layer of clothes. And then you step over and you're like helping that. Or Zach likes cough drops on the right side of his music stand. Two cherry, one lemon every Sunday. And his Bible and his notebook need to be Bible on the left, notebook on the right, coffee on the stool right here. And so he anticipates it and he goes ahead of me before I ever step foot on the stage and everything's where I like it. Everything's where I need it to be. There's a spirit resting on the church today, a spirit of anticipation, a spirit that understands, as Issachar understood, the heart of the Father and goes before Jesus. How many of you believe Jesus is coming back? He's coming back, okay? And before that movement happens, a movement comes first, an anticipatory movement, one that understands the heart of God and the actions that will ensue as the kingdom comes and his will is being done. And so it's a movement that gets involved in the preparations and the readiness that need to take place. And if you're in the room here this morning and you have sensed a heightened sense of anticipation, not of anxiety, not of nervousness, but a knowing, a deep knowing of what the Lord's going to do before he does it. If that's you, would you step out of your seat and meet me at this altar this morning? Because Wally's not the only one we're going to commission. Come on down. Come close. Come close. Come close. I believe there will be a few dozen folks in this room at least 
because I've, as I'm talking to people, I'm, I'm hearing it. Take a couple more steps. Keep coming. Don't stop at the end of the aisle. Because here's, here's where it gets real, okay? Here's where it gets real. It's for a reason. You're starting to anticipate dreams before you get them. You're starting to anticipate prophetic revelation before it comes. And then when it comes, you're like, well, that must just be a coincidence. No, it's not a coincidence. It's the spirit of John the Baptist that knows what Jesus wants and is out and set to prepare a way for him. This is huge. This is absolutely paramount that the folks who are called to this, take a couple more steps forward if you can. Yeah, and move around here to the sides. Keep coming up these things. Yeah, just yeah, just couple, come up a couple steps. I want to make sure there's room for everybody. Because there's two things that are happening here. Number one, this anticipation. And number two, the transition of what's boiling up in our soul and it coming out. You see, the days are over when you play church and it's all based on how you feel and your emotion. The days are coming when you show up blamelessly walking in the righteousness of God, consistent, committed to the faith, whether it's exciting or not. The days are coming and the, and the men and the boys are being separated, okay? And the, the true church, the remnant of Jesus is going to push through this and we're going to say, we're going to show up come hell or high water because we're anticipating a move. And so if you're in the room this morning now and, and that thing in you has started to swell, the readiness is outgrowing your interior space and is pushing out into preparedness. If that's you, step out of your seat. If you're sensing that action is starting to be called for along with what you felt all along, if you've, been, if you've been kind of the dreams and the visions and the, the sense of God's doing this, God's doing this, I can sense him. I know he's here. I know he's speaking. I know he's calling. Well, there's a threshold that you're being called to. And it's where everything on the inside starts to come out. Now, in years past, we've gotten this backwards and we've pushed the outward stuff, right? The church is notorious, pushing the stuff that you can see, the Bible, sellable, smellable, tangible, feelable, stuff well that means you're blameless and right no that's not it starts in here but it doesn't stay in here if it's real it keeps growing just like any baby just like john the baptist and as it grows it's baptized in the spirit and it starts to kick and as it pushes that baby is going to be known that baby is going to be seen and i want to speak to those of you where you're sensing a swelling, that baby is coming out. No matter how hard you fight it, that baby is coming out. The Lord has conceived something in you and wants to bring it into the world. Now, as we pray in closing, I want to remind all of you down here of one thing, and it's this. You see, the enemy has wanted to uh, stir up discord between the harmony of, of boldness and humility, of, bo- of, of glory and humility. And over the last year or so, there have been all of this prophetic um, 
consternation, like uh, controversy about, well, we're called to the low place or no, we're called to the, 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 the bold place, the high place, the glory place. And as I was in the word this morning over John the Baptist and, and sensing, you know, that, that what's really always needed is usually a balance. The Lord points out to me, it was John the Baptist, it was that anointing that watched Jesus walk into the river and allow himself to be baptized. Now, can you follow with me for just a second what that would have been like for John, who knew from the womb that the only reason he was even supernaturally conceived of to begin with was to be a a doormat for Jesus to come. His whole existence revolved around the existence of Jesus. Who the heck am I? And and John literally says, I'm not fit to untie this guy's sandal, let alone baptize him. And yet, do we see Jesus saying, you know what, you're right. Let me find somebody who's not as aware of how humble they should be. (laughs) No. He says, that knowledge right there is exactly what I'm looking for. That awareness right there. That's who needs to baptize me, is one who understands. That's who needs to walk in the high place of my glory because you know that without it, what a low place you'd be in. You see the balance? And we're, we're so quick to go die on a mountain of a high place or a low place, but get back to that word of what readiness really looks like. It looks like making high places low and bringing low places up. That's what has to happen in our hearts. And so if you're in here and, and you've thought real high of yourself and like you're the one, you're ready, you've got this, you know better than everybody else, I'm gonna just tell you, get ready for a kick in the pants because the low place is coming down. But if you're one of these people that just grovels in the, such a worm as I that, you know, God would never or this won't ever or, you know, there's been too much of this and blah, 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 listen, that low place has to come up. That, 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 that humility that reaches past surrender, that has to come up to meet the feet of Jesus. Yeah, John, no, you are going to baptize me. Why? Because you're so cool? No, because I'm like so cool to let you? No, because it fulfills, Jesus says it, for the fulfillment of what has been spoken. You see, here's the crazy thing. The awesome, incredible thing that everyone at this altar has been called to, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the fulfillment of what has been spoken. So get over yourself for better or for worse and prepare the way. Lord, we cry out in the spirit of John, in the spirit of Elijah, we cry out in the power of your spirit, Lord, that uh, that the path would be prepared. The way would be made. God, whatever doors need to be opened, I thank you for imparting to us the power to kick them open. God, whatever needs to be closed, whatever needs to be fought off, whatever spiritual warfare needs to be engaged in um, to hold back what needs holding back so that you can come, your kingdom can come and your will will be done. God, I pray, Lord, that it would rise up in us a boldness, 
a confidence that is rooted in our surrender, rooted in our obedience. Lord, remind us this morning that obedience has always been better than sacrifice. So the places where we've self-sabotaged and self-sacrificed and self-deprecated, God, I, I repent for it on behalf of our church that we would come around, Lord, to finding a certainty of who we are in you and who you are in us. God, I pray that we would wear this mantle, that we would carry this call and walk in the chosenness of preparation. Lord, those who are sensing a thing swell inside them. Lord, we just, we, we release the delivery of that thing. God, we release the, the fruition of that thing. For those, Lord, who, who are um, struggling with uh, how, to, how to walk in the anticipation that you've started to show them, God, I pray for a discernment to go along with it to know who to tell and when, to know how to say it and why, God, to to couple uh, their actions with that stirring in their soul. Lord, we don't want to just pray anymore, your kingdom come, your will be done. We want to be that kingdom coming. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you and have the best day of your life.